0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Did you use your umbrella in Oxford today?
2: You know, this had not gotten rainy here yet, at least until, I, until my 8 o'clock class, it was still dry. But I think we're going to get rain just like everywhere else in the state, and it will be welcome in a way.
1: I want it but. to rain so we can get rid of the burn ban. I want to have a fire pit. It was so nice and cool over the weekend here in Jackson that I'd like to sit outside and roast marshmallows.
2: Exactly. But, you know, the, the safest place to be during a thunderstorm is listening to MPB. <laughs>
1: That's so, right. Don't somewhere. go anywhere unless you have to. And we are so glad to welcome to the show Andre Degree, the state defender from the Office of the State Public Defender.
2: Good to yes, be It's great to have this. Andre here. I mean, he has been a guest before. And, you know, we talk about different kinds of lawyers and different kinds of law on the show. But what Andre does and has done really his whole career is— is pretty special. I mean, when you talk about defending capital crimes, and uh, he's been uh, part of the state uh, office of Capital Defense counsel since 2001. But prior to that, he had a nonprofit law office that handled death penalty litigation. So great to welcome him here. And, uh, Andre,
0: why why was the Office of Capital Defense established originally? Uh, Well, what we were seeing um, was that the the way our public defense system is really still provided, the counties uh, are the ones financially responsible, and the the capital crimes, the death penalty cases were just so time consuming. That uh, if the counties were paying on an hourly basis, uh, we had we had a couple of counties that uh, essentially went bankrupt. They had to float a bond to pay for uh, for just a couple of capital trials, and so uh, the legislature and, and sort of any time the legislature does something, there's, there's more than just one reason for that. There were there were people that certainly were concerned about the quality of of representation in these most serious cases. Um, um, but also just the, the burden on the local county. So the state stepped in and, and created what really was the first public de- state public defender office in, in creating capital defense back in. Uh, it was actually created in, in the 2000 legislature, and, and I opened it uh, a year later, 2001. So when did you know
2: that you wanted to do capital defense? I know a lot of people in law school have different ideas, but this is really, really uh, high-level stuff.
0: You know, I, I, uh, I when I. Went decided to go to law school. I, I had been an education major and and uh, you know set the record for teacher burnout in a, uh, just a month of of practice teaching, um, and and so I decided to go to law school. And I had this idea I would do poverty law. Um, I had no idea what that was, and uh, you know it, it was kind of a joke in the family after I worked at a nonprofit for five or six years that poverty law was. I lived in poverty and practiced law, but uh, it—you it, it, know—I I didn't know what that was going to be because I, I really had no idea. I just knew I wanted to help poor people, and um, and when I was at Mississippi College Law School, they opened. A resource center that was the nonprofit law office. Uh, the law school provided office space, library support, uh, student workers, and the federal government was the primary funder for the program. And I got that opportunity to work to work there, and uh, after a externship for one semester, then they hired me for the summer, and then I kept hanging around, and eventually they thought, well, you know, have you graduated yet? Can we put you on payroll? So, I just kind of, I was there for about a year and a half before I uh, passed the bar and and became a practicing lawyer, just hanging out as a student. So, you know I know at at Ole Miss there's so many wonderful clinical programs that that students can get to be a part of Um, this was really the only thing we had at at MC at the time and that is just uh, you know that's just such a a benefit a blessing for law students today to be able to get into those clinical programs and uh, so I just give my I'm sure your law students are not listening to the radio this morning they're uh, off studying or in class but you know getting involved in something like that, it really, um, you know, it, it shaped my career.
1: But we hope all the law students will listen to the podcast yeah. at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org where you can listen to the show after it has aired. But if you have a question this morning, we would love for you to call in to be part of our show. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 7464 you could also send us an email the address is legal terms at mpbonline.org our guest today is andre degree from the state defender the state defender defender from the office of state public defender and we're talking about what it takes to try capital defense cases with our expert professor richard gershon from the university of mississippi school of law
2: and, Liz, I want to point out, this is so great to have Andre here because every once in a while, not often, we get a caller who will say, well, lawyers are just doing this for money and they, you know, they just bill time. and." And try to uh, bill me as much as possible. Uh, you know, this to somebody like Andre who is doing this for public service. He's not doing this to make a lot of money. He's doing it to help society. You know, I think it's important to think about all the lawyers who are doing this kind of work. And so, uh, it's great to have him on. And,
0: and Andre, how many cases does your office handle per year? Um, just as the death penalty. Uh, so. You know, we talked about creating capital defense. It uh, We created from capital defense and an appeals office and a training division, merging them all together to form the office we have now, the state public defender. But uh, the capital division handles, uh, we've, we're down to actually three capital defenders now. At one point, we had five. Um, and that's really a reduction be driven more by caseload than it's not budget cuts from the legislature. I may be the only state agency had who comes on and say, we reduced the, our staff because – we needed to reduce our staff, not because of budget cuts. Uh, but we handle, with those three lawyers, we we handle about 12 to 15 cases. Uh, that's what we tell the legislature we're capable of doing with, uh, with three capitally uh, qualified lawyers. Uh, right now we have, I think, 13 trial level cases going, and then we have two direct appeals. Um, so we're handling a total of 15 cases and where that fits in the in the state those two direct appeals are the only cases on direct appeal the uh the 13 is a little more than half of of the cases the capital cases that prosecutors are actively seeking the death penalty on so those are our pretrial cases where the prosecutor is seeking death we have we have those 13 there there are two or three other cases with appointed counsel and a handful of cases with uh, pro bono or retained um, counsel. Would you work with those people? If, if somebody was doing pro bono,
2: could they come to your office to get support?
0: We do. If there is not a, uh, a direct conflict, you know, we, we some of sometimes a case that you have two two people charged with the same crime and and in that case we would have an actual conflict and and we wouldn't be able to do that but we do work with um you know we, we both as training and as a resource to anybody facing anybody who has a death penalty case um you know and and providing them whatever assistance we can, and and definitely uh, training opportunities, because um, under the rules, any lawyer appointed to a case, and these are the new criminal, we we keep calling them new rules, because we got them for the first time in 2017, um, that that there's a requirement that the lawyers be received capital defense training, and so we we try to provide that to everyone, whether it's in our office or, or outside.
1: All right. We're going to continue our discussion with Andre Degree after the break. If you have a question about the laws concerning capital defense, call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to our address... Legal Terms at MPBOnline.org. How many individuals are under sentence of death in the United States? We'll tell you after the break. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you miss any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at In online. Dot org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, and as a podcast. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, at the end of 2017, the most recent year for records, a total of 32 states and the Federal Bureau of Prisons held 2,703 prisoners under sentence of death, which was 94 which is 3% less than the previous year. This morning, we are talking about defending individuals uh, accused of capital crimes with our guest, Andre Degree, from the State Defender, from the Office of the State Public Defender.
2: Liz, I was thinking maybe it might be helpful because uh, Andre's office handles uh, those crimes that are uh, charged with death penalty eligible. Offenses, and could you talk a little bit about what those are?
0: The, um, the, the we have a, a statute that defines. Uh, I think it's it now goes up to uh, paragraph G on what a what a capital crime is. Um, it could be someone who has is serving a life sentence and is. Uh, Um, Accused of committing a murder while under that sentence. Uh, The killing of a police officer or murder of a police officer would be a capital crime. Um, We have sort of an oddly written statute that says killing, it's not necessarily just the killing of a child, but killing of a child during felonious child abuse would be a capital crime. The most common one we see is uh, killing during another felony. That would be robbery, burglary, rape, uh the, so if if there's a serious felony happening and a death occurs so so a lot of our capital crimes do not involve an intent to kill it's uh it's something that happens during another crime and that is elevated to a capital murder
1: All right, and we have a caller. We'd like to go to Canton. Tony has called in to In Legal Terms. Thank you, Tony, for being part of our show today. What's your comment or question?
0: Oh, yes. Hi. I just had a question for Andre, and um, it was just about I used to work in the Office of Capital Post Conviction Counsel, and it was a very illuminating time there. Um, But one thing we often talked about in the office was the equity with which You know the prosecutorial process was met out for particular individuals obviously there's people who are guilty and there's people who it's very questionable at times um how do you think we can improve you know despite the fact that numbers are going down in general how do you think we can improve you know the system to just be more fair in general well tony i think um you know what because the local district attorney uh, and we have twenty two district attorneys around the state, um, whether or not a case is going to be a death penalty eligible case is decided by the district attorney so we we have probably fifty five to sixty capital indictments a year, um, and that includes some five six juveniles who who can 't face the death penalty. The vast majority of them could face the death penalty, but prosecutors choose not to seek death. And I, I think a, if you looked around the state, you see most of our prosecutors really are taking into consideration the strength of the case. Um, you know, When I started doing this work in the late 80s, uh, we had a lot of prosecutors who looked at it and said, well, I've got a weak case, so if I go for the death penalty, I can get a better jury because only people who believe in the death penalty and would and would impose the death penalty can serve on the jury. Those people tend to be more inclined to to convict. So, uh, you know, we, we faced a lot of that, in, in including some prosecutors who would death qualify the jury, get a conviction and then not seek the death penalty. And. Um, you know, I think what I've seen in the last certainly 10, 12 years is that prosecutors recognizing the the there's a burden on them too. There's a lot of time that goes on from the prosecutor side. There's a large cost to the to the county, even though we're we're taking care of most of the legal costs. There's still the cost of juries. So w- what we see is, um, and I realize, and you're in the post conviction office, you're seeing. Cases that really came through the system twenty years to, ago, right? So, yeah. so things have things have changed. You might want to go back to the post conviction office now. Things are things are uh, a little more manageable. Their workload there is because we've really slowed down. Um, you know, when I started doing this in in the late eighties, we were we were seeing seven, eight, nine. One year we had twelve new death sentences imposed um, we have about one a year now. Uh, I don't think, I think you go back a decade to get to 12 death sentences, what we used to have in a year. So, um, there, there are the, the system overall and the system in death penalty cases in particular is, is better than it has been. There's still a lot of work to do. And, and, you know, the folks that are working every day in it, I, I you know, I, they don't want to hear me say, you know, things are a lot better. Because, uh, of course, I'm the old guy who says you should have been here 30 years ago. But uh, it, it is uh, I, I think there is some improvement in, in it really to the, the short answer to Tony's question is the local district attorney um, is, is the one who makes that decision on whether or not this case should be a death case. That's a great
2: question that Tony asked, and I, I guess maybe that leads me to a question. And what's, what's the difference between an appeal and a post-conviction remedy? He talked about the fact that he worked in the post-conviction office. What
0: is that? Yeah. So um, the, the way um, this, the, just the quick how a case runs through, a person gets convicted at trial, they, they have a direct appeal. They, they appeal to the Mississippi Supreme Court. That appeal is just on the record from the trial, so uh, the Supreme Court only looks at the transcript of the proceedings, the briefs filed that can only argue facts that are in no. in that transcript or have been presented to the lower court um, and and so that 's the first phase of the of the process. Um, it really the the conviction isn't final until the U.S. Supreme Court denies uh, a writ of certiorari or, or declines to accept a writ of certiorari. Um, so the the that's when you know the delays and complaints we hear about. You know, people I mentioned there are two people on direct appeal. Uh, there are thirty-eight people on death row. So that means there are thirty-six people who have. Who are in this post-conviction process, and and what that is, and, and we actually have completely separate office we um, 're in the same building but but uh, i don 't have any authority over the post conviction office and what they do is review what happened at the trial um, and they 're reviewing just for constitutional errors. Um, one of those is uh, one claim that we see in common in post conviction is ineffective assistance of counsel uh, we have You have a constitutional right to not just have a lawyer sit next to you but the lawyer properly function and so uh they review that and and any claims of new evidence and you know we we in mississippi have had a couple of people who got off death row from post-conviction who were later exonerated found that weren't responsible for the crime at all so um that's that's the really the lengthy end of the process um i think our office in in mississippi is now handling about 17 or 18 cases um and so you know those are cases that were final for for conviction purposes and now are being challenged collaterally either uh, our office only handles the cases in state court and then they move into federal court, uh, they'll have a new legal team. But they get review for federal constitutional errors as well.
1: We're talking about how capital defense cases work, how the lawyers are trained with our guest, Andre Degree. If you have a question or you would like to make a comment, our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one Seven four six four, or you could send us an email. Our address is legalterms@mpbonline.org. So that the individuals who are reviewing post conviction, they're reviewing possibly some of your staff members' work.
0: That is, uh, that is Glenn Schwartzfager, who ran the office for five or six years, used to follow me when I when I would go over to the legislative. Committees, uh, the Appropriations Committees, and uh, and his favorite line was, I- "I'm here to check Andre's homework." Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we we have uh, we have a good working relationship with that office. The the Post Conviction Office and the Capital Trial Office were created about the same time. Um, so we've always worked with them, but uh, it, it is—they are looking over our shoulder. We're—we're—we're we're, um, we, we're nice to each other in the hallway when we bump into each other, but they are uh, generally um, looking at whether or not we properly represented. They're now representing our former clients and in, in investigating our performance.
1: Well, personally, I would think. That would behoove someone to do a better job knowing that their actions are going to be reviewed.
0: You know, that, that certainly if, if you are um, if you are going to do death penalty work, your work is going to be looked at very closely, um, scrutinized very closely. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that does play into that, that's a motivation for some people and if that's what it takes to motivate them i, I think most people are, are you know already motivated it's just another stress level i guess because they're already motivated by knowing that what their client's facing but you know you you do know you're you're doing your litigation in a fishbowl when it's a death penalty case all right. You have to be. Tra- I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, I was
1: just going to say uh, we have another caller that we'd like to bring into the show. Lofton is calling in this morning. Uh, welcome to In Legal Terms. Go ahead, please. He is calling in. Uh, yeah. You need to turn off your radio so that you'll be able to hear us through your phone, please. You can turn off your radio so
0: that you'll be able to. Hear. Is that
1: better? Yes. Yeah. Thanks.
2: This uh, question is between the state and county authorities on this post-conviction.
1: I'm sorry, can you repeat your question from the beginning?
2: Actually, it's a a general question on the uh, post-conviction authority between the state and county at the point of... Arbitration on it.
0: Yeah. Well, what, the way it works is because all death penalty cases are appealed. Not not every. That's not true of every felony case, but in death penalty cases, all are appealed to the Supreme Court. So when the when the post conviction is filed, it's filed in the Supreme Court, and that you have to actually ask permission to go back to the local court. Um, so the, the the person that would would have the evidentiary hearing, assuming if there's new evidence brought in, and, and in almost every claim in post conviction, uh, they're not going to get a hearing unless they have new evidence. the 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 trial judge, the judge who tried the case, if if he's still there or his successor, would be the one who would actually uh, rule on the case. Uh, now the lawyers that would be involved, we'd have this post-conviction office uh, generally is or or some pro bono lawyer often is involved in the case uh, and then on the state on the on the state side the Attorney General's office uh, handles post-conviction so the local DA handles the prosecution at trial and then from direct appeal and through post-conviction the state attorney general has a; they have a death penalty division similar to I have in my office, and they handle uh, the cases from the state's perspective. That, Did that answer your question? Does very much. Okay. Yes, sir.
1: All right. This morning we're talking with Andre Degree about capital defense cases. We're going to take our next break. Please give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring if you'd like to be a part of the show our question our phone number is 1-877-672-7464 you could also send us an email legalterms at mpbonline.org are the number of individuals under sentence of death increasing decreasing or remaining the same what do you think but we'll tell you after the break you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio
0: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershen is our expert, and we hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. It's just listening to audio in the world. That's what all a podcast is. It can be anything. Anything that's recorded is considered a podcast. You get a podcast platform for your phone or your tablet. I happen to use Podcast Addict, but there's quite a variety. Unless you're an Apple person, then you've already got it on your tablet or phone. But you download it to your phone. Touch maybe a plus or a place to search. Maybe the little micro, uh, the little magnifying glass. Type in In Legal Terms in the search area. It'll bring up our show. Touch the photo. You can see all of our shows that are up. You could hit subscribe, and then you'll know which shows are put up, and they're notified when they're put up. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics in 2017, the number of prisoners held under sentence of death declined for the 17th consecutive year. And this morning we're talking about capital defense with our guest, Andre Degree, the state defender from the Office of State Public Defender.
2: You know, Liz, we were talking about uh, assistance of counsel and and, that type of thing and Andre's homework being checked. But, you know, I may be able to do capital gains, but there's no way I could do capital defense. Uh, these are highly trained lawyers. So, Andre, would you talk a little bit about the kind of training it takes to handle these cases at your level?
0: Right. Um, we, we encourage the, the lawyers in our staff, we try sending them off at least to one national or regional training a year that's probably um, 12 to 16 hours of uh, continuing legal education-type training. Uh, particularly if uh, one of the things that has developed in the last 10 years or so are bring your own case training. So the the entire team in these capital cases are at least two lawyers, a mitigation specialist, often an investigator. If we can get the whole team to go to one training, they bring their actual case, and and between lectures they'll – They'll sit down with, with others, other people bring in their cases, but also some experts to, to go through what they're learning specifically on their case. Um, and we also, um, so then to bring that to the lawyers in Mississippi, because while we're involved in the majority of the cases, we have local counsel. Uh, local public defenders are, are the ones that are handling the case when it goes to a death case we join them, we don't take over for them and uh, and so we, we put on a training um, we started in 2014 and we put on a training every two years um, so that the lawyers can meet their qualifications and and obviously we had our first two before the rules went into place but we knew they were coming and and uh, the supreme court requires within three years of your taking on a capital case that you have at least 12 hours of death penalty training Um, you know we ideally we'd like that to be every year um, but you know lawyers that are in private practice or, or in most of our part time public defenders are, are not just doing criminal defense that uh, you, you're required to get 12 hours of continuing legal education. All lawyers are. So, you know, we're trying to push them to get that all in death penalty cases when we know that they're doing other things. So that if we can get them every two Two years to come to one of our trainings then then that's good and and we have uh we've opened it up we've created the deep south capital training and we uh, we invite lawyers from Alabama and Tennessee and Arkansas and Louisiana to also come and you that both helps us we see what people are doing in other states but uh you know it's also we hope benefiting our our neighbors around us and and occasionally we need to send people. Uh, I had a lawyer calling me this week who just got on a case, and, and he can't wait till, till March when we have our next training, so we, we're trying to hook him up with Arkansas. So it, it is something that it's a fast-changing area of the law, and so we you know, we, we try to, through our training division, be able to provide updates on what's happening, um, what's going on all around the country, and uh, bring the best practices back here to Mississippi.
2: And you all have been innovators as well. I know that you've done some uh, national training uh, at uh, the Capital Defense Seminar in Salt Lake City and also in, in Tampa. Could you talk a little bit about some of those?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's always we bring in speakers from these other states, and, and they are— uh, and we have people from our own office doing things, and uh, you start— you know to get an invitation later uh you know i got to go to salt lake city i i didn't get to do any skiing it wasn't ski weather yet uh, uh to be to be honest with you i've never skied in my life so it's probably <laughs> probably good that i didn't get to ski but you know to be invited to go out there and uh and participate in a training for for their lawyers and and always good to be able to you know a couple of you know, when when the issue comes up and it's real in their case two months later and they call and say, I know you said something about this, but uh, I wasn't, you know, I was paying enough attention to know, you know, something about this. Can you help me? Um, and, and then we have uh, really developed uh, the mitigation specialist program and, you know, those – what a mitigation specialist is is somebody that just goes into our client's life and and looks through everything from, from you know, maybe a generation before they were born all the way up to what's happening with them today. Uh, we use mostly social workers to do that, and we use master's level social workers. So they use those skills from social work in our in our investigation of our clients' lives, and uh, and we have had uh, we've got the the lawyer who trained in I mean the social worker who trained in Tampa is is actually in London this week doing uh, participating in a training for a charity there that sends young barristers in. Uh, that are people waiting to take the bar in and uh, be admitted to the bar in England to uh, who come over and, and volunteer at death penalty offices around the country, and so they before they come they get an immersion in in capital representation and, and American law. Usually they they get a couple of weekends and uh, and so was over there doing that training this week.
1: All right, we ha- we've got about 20 minutes left in our show, not quite that much. So if you do have a question, we need you to call in now so that we can get to it. Our number is 1877 MPB ring. That's 18776727464. Our email address is Legal at MPBonline.org. We are talking about capital defense with Andre Degree today.
2: Andre was talking about training, Liz, and I, one group of people that really does need training, as besides a lawyer, would be the judges who handle these cases.
0: Have you been involved in training judges in capital crime? I, I have. Um, when um, the new judges, uh, and we just elected a, a, a number of new judges, I think there were maybe eight or, or nine new judges. Uh, New judges for the circuit bench—the judges who will try these cases—it was a really good training. Uh, Randy Pierce at the Judicial College uh, at at Ole Miss does the training for judges, and so as part of their new judge training, he included a capital component, and uh, and it was—I think it was good for them to see. Uh, I My uh, computer didn't work and Jason Davis, who's the head of the criminal division at the AG's office, let me plug my jump drive into his computer and, and we got through the program uh, so that the judges see that, you know, we're going to be we're going to be civil to each other. We're going to be professional and. and um, and We are going to dump a whole lot of paper on them that we expect them to read. Um, but uh, that was a that was a good program, and, and a couple of the a number of the new judges had had been actually trial litigators, and so I, I think we've got the bench is is at least from a trial a perspective of lawyers who try cases, I think we've got a, a good bench now in Mississippi because we have so many lawyers who have tried cases and tried some of these death penalty cases now sitting on the bench. So
2: if you had to tell you know, what the biggest challenges were for your office, because you all have a, a lot of important cases that you handle and your work is, is, is so important for the not only the people going through the system, but for all of us,
0: what's the biggest challenge you face? You know, I, I think right now when we look at what we do day-to-day in the state public defender, um, you know, th- that our challenge, and, and Liz alluded to the decline in the number of people, um, on death rows across the country, and that's certainly true here in Mississippi, um, that in the number of capital prosecutions down, I, I already mentioned moving from five lawyers to three. We're, we're, what we really want to do, with the next step we want to take with the state public defender is to truly make it a state public defender, is to get more involved in, in the non-death penalty cases. Right now, uh, we can provide technical assistance in the vast majority of felony cases in Mississippi, but we can't actually get involved in handling anything other than a death penalty eligible case so we're we're working with the legislature and and we worked with the public defender task force for many years to develop a plan that uh, that would sort of create some state oversight of all the the eighty two different county systems of of indigent defense, and try to to create some standards, and, and so people, no matter where what county they're arrested in, they they have um, we know they have at least adequate representation, what we call effective assistance of counsel. Um, so that that's our push to the legislature is is we've got to come up with a plan. That the state is going to be more involved in in assisting and supporting those local public defenders. Um, you know the the district attorneys are funded by the primarily funded by the state. The circuit court judges are primarily funded by the state, but the counties are, are on the hook for millions of dollars in in these uh, in all felony cases. And and so we're we're hoping and we've got some encouraging. Uh, Movement in in getting this plan uh, before the legislature and see where we can we can go there.
1: We're going to finish up our show after this next break. You still have a chance to call in one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You could also send us an email legal at mpbonline.org. Are the people under sentence of death evenly distributed around the country? We'll tell you after the break. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: To In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
1: Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show in It's also available on the MPB public media app, as are all our local shows and as a podcast. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, urging you, pleading with you and begging you to vote in the general election on Tuesday, November 5th. If you have a good reason, and there are a million good reasons, well, maybe not a million, absentee voting began on September 23rd. If you do need to vote absentee, do that. Get it in by the 4th. Uh, if uh, if you're all clear and you'll be at home on uh, November 5th, Tuesday, please do your civic duty and vote. Uh, our laws are created by these people that we vote for, so it would behoove you to uh, investigate the people running for office and please vote Tuesday, November 5th according to the bureau of statistics justice statistics three states accounted for 59 percent of the national decline in prisoners under sentence of death uh, sentence of death in 2017 florida was down 33 prisoners Delaware was down 12, and Texas was down 10. We're talking with guest Andre Degree, the state defender from the Office of State Public Defender. We're talking about defending capital cases. We do have a listener on the line. We'd like to go to Leake County and bring Larry in for your question or comment, To in legal terms. Go ahead, Larry.
2: Hello, Andre.
0: Hey,
1: Larry.
2: I was calling to see how your office would square with uh, legislation to eliminate the death penalty in Mississippi altogether and whether that's even a part of what y'all try to do. And uh, I'll hang up now and listen. Okay. Thank you.
0: The, um, when they created the Office of Capital Defense Counsel in, uh, in 2000, specifically in the law, it, uh, it, The director and the lawyers in the office cannot lobby for or against the death penalty i 'm not sure why the far part was in there, but maybe you don't want people lobbying for job security but so so we do not uh, get involved in any way and and i've just now that i 'm the state defender i I guess I could technically appoint someone to be the director of capital defense and get away with lobbying but uh on that issue but i i we just stay out of the question of whether or not uh there there should be a death penalty leave that to other people
1: leave that to your elected officials
2: But can you lobby on behalf of other criminal justice reforms? I mean, is that allowed? And and what would they be if you could?
0: Well, we um, actually, I, I think I serve on almost every task force the legislature has ever created. It was uh, it's a, it's really been a, a good experience. I was on the original uh, corrections and criminal justice task force in 2013 that proposed some reforms that became House Bill 585. In 2014, and uh, and I was then named to the oversight task force um, of that. You know, we we basically look at and mostly look at the data that's that's uh, Department of Corrections is collecting on uh, the the outcome of 585, um, so that we can evaluate that law and make sure. And, and that that mostly involved. Nonviolent offenses and uh, changing a little bit on how we deal with uh, drug uh, sale cases and parole things things like that to reduce the prison population so i 'm expected to work on those issues, and we are we really appreciate being included. Uh, along with prosecutors and judges and, and sheriffs, and uh, it's been a really great opportunity. And, and so we're at the legislature a good bit every session, uh, pushing the, the continued reforms that Mississippi has been doing um, and also lobbying for funds for our programs and, and the expansion of our program.
2: Well, what are the reforms that take place? You mentioned when we were talking about post-conviction and how that's changed in 30 years. What are some of the big positives you've seen in the last 10 years, let's say?
0: Yeah. So when with the uh, overall criminal justice reform and, you know, I, I'm always surprised that, that there's not more of this. And that means we're not talking about it enough. Uh, there, People don't realize how much Mississippi has done. But really, starting with the 2014 legislative session, we've uh, we've changed our our approach to criminal justice and in, in moving uh Cases, low-level um, theft and property crimes are now misdemeanors. We've got uh, parole eligibility for drug sales. We we did we did something called truth in sentencing back in the mid '90s, and and the truth was. Our prison population skyrocketed Uh, we were locking we had more nonviolent offenders in our prison than violent offenders and uh, and so we really started in 2014 looking at that looking at how we uh, how the Department of Corrections the Community Corrections Division supervises people Uh, now when somebody if somebody's on probation or parole and they get in trouble they can't keep a job they have uh, domestic difficulties. Uh, and what we see so often is drug problems. Um, instead of going back to prison, like they were going before, they'll go to what's called a technical violation center. And, and there's intense training there. Uh, they'll have them for 90 days, right, right around 90 days is the average to really work on the problems that brought them to, to conflict with their probation officer in the courts. And, uh, and so we're, we're keeping people from prison who, who were going to prison prior to 2014. And it's really brought the numbers down. Um, you know, there's, we still have way too many people. We're still number two in, in the country and incarceration, maybe number three, but, uh, and still have way too many drug offenders who are going to prison instead of drug treatment. Uh, but uh, we, we've made a lot of progress. The last legislative session really looked at what are now called intervention courts, which can include mental health courts, veterans courts, drug courts, to really like find an alternative to prison for people, but not just turning them on the street, turning them on the street with supervision and with targeted uh, programs to help them deal with the problem that is bringing them into conflict with the criminal justice system Well,
2: well, maybe one way to conclude the show in a a way would be to I'm sure there are people out there saying why do we give these criminals because a lot of people see them as criminals a defender why why does the system pay for a defender
0: yeah well in in the wisdom of our founding fathers in the sixth amendment to the constitution of the united states they they provided for the right to counsel uh so that when you are brought in by the government and and you're going to answer to a criminal charge you have the right to have counsel with you um It was a long time, 1932, when they recognized... That, that if you were too poor to provide counsel, the government had to in death penalty cases. And then in 63, that was expanded to um, felony cases. It's now, if they're going to jail you on a misdemeanor, they have to give you a lawyer. And it, it's just a recognition by the courts, and I think by the uh, by all our policymakers that if an individual is facing the government, they, you, they're not going to be a fair determination of whether or not they're guilty without the assistance of counsel.
2: And that, uh, that case of Gideon, my, my former dean, was on the losing side of that. He was arguing for the state of Florida, but he was glad he lost. He's uh, a you know, very important case um, that allowed defense representation even in non-capital offenses, and, uh, it, and I think that's been a good change uh, that has stayed with us for a long time.
1: Andre, we're so grateful that you spent part of your morning with us here at In Legal Terms. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. I enjoyed it.
1: All right. So that's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. If it's a wet road and you're driving on, please drive carefully. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again. Again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: an MPB Think Radio podcast.